Well, we want to welcome you into what is really a conversational message, and we're starting a a three-week series entitled Intersections. You may have picked up on that. Uh, Anthony, we asked a volunteer team to put together some uh, thematic things. I I see this uh, traffic light. The, the big one's going to be here next week. It could come in this week. Okay, uh, all right. The big one will be here next week. So. Yeah, well, this one looks like it was supersized. Yeah. But we're, yeah. we're glad. Yeah, uh, they, they said we're going to bring in a traffic light, and I said, cool, I'm thinking traffic light, and there you go. Well, <laughs> we're thankful. They hit home. They really did. And, you know, significant things happen at intersections, and life is full of intersections. Um. In fact, there are different kinds. Uh, there are vehicular intersections uh, where roadways come together, and it can be dangerous with the icy roads we've had lately. Uh, a lot of people fear heading into those intersections if they can't stop. Uh, there are pedestrian ones, as we saw in the, in the video, where people are uh, walking, whether it be on the street or in the hallways. Um, and so there are, there are a variety. Some are physical, some are relational which have spiritual implications. Um, Over the next three weeks, we want to encourage you, and Anthony, I'm excited about the next three weeks as we head into this journey related to intersections. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about relational intersections. Uh, But, you know, like next week, we're going to discuss uncomfortable intersections, places that we maybe normally wouldn't go, that God calls us to. And how do we move through that? And then the final week of the three-week series on uh, intersections is this one, the corner of Bass and Forsyth. And we want to ask the question, why does God continue to have us here as a church? And what difference can we make at that axis, that intersection? And so I'm pumped about about this series. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, And today, as you mentioned, we're talking about relational intersections. And intersections... Uh, as you said, have a, a big impact. A lot of crazy things can happen at an intersection. And uh, actually, there, there's a story uh, with my in-laws that involves an intersection. They actually met at a traffic light. Um, true story. Mm-hmm. They, they're riding down the road, however many years ago this was, and they pull up to the traffic light, and their eyes caught each other. And they were sitting there at the traffic light, and they kind of smiled and everything. Was there a collision? No, no, no. Oh, not yet. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, anyways, they, they keep going. And um, my mother-in-law, uh, who uh, can be a little assertive sometimes, um, decided to follow my father-in-law wow. uh, to his apartment complex. And um, she you know, got, got scared when he turned and just kind of kept going. Then she said, no, nah, I'm going back. And so she went back. He had already gone in the building, but she wrote her name and number, said, hey, I'm the girl from the intersection, and put it on his windshield. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, his best friend said, if you don't call her, I'm going to. And he, he decided to call her, and the rest is history. Wow. And, yeah. and the rest is history. Yeah. So look at yeah. Emma out there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's not exactly the kind of relational intersection we're going to be talking about today. This is not going to be uh, a find your mate at a traffic light. Uh, talk. Yeah, we've got uh, Match.com for that. That's right. There, there are websites completely dedicated to that. But today, we're going to talk about the opportunities we have in the relationships that we have and the impact of those relationships and the opportunities that are available for us uh, to make an impact in those relational intersections. 
Well, you know, I think about these natural relationships and these intersections that God puts us in, and I think about the, the uh, intersection that God placed me in, and some very, very important people were a part of that. In fact, I asked somebody after the earlier service, because mm-hmm. uh, the message obviously is on intersections, and I said, what intersections were, were pivotal for you, and who was there? And they said, you know, I have a hard time counting them. There were so many. But one for me was a friend. When I was uh, mid-high, uh, early part of high school, a fellow by the name of Ken was my best friend. And church was a big part of his life. And more importantly, Christ was in his life. And his parents were going through a brutal divorce. And I would watch him. And this was really before I made a decision for Christ. I would watch him and, and see how he was responding to all that. And I'd say to him, I'd say, Ken, how are you dealing with this, man? I said, you know, your parents are at each other. It's an ugly divorce. And you're getting caught in the middle And in his way, in a very simple way, he communicated, Anthony, to me that God was that inner strength. Hmm. And so I was able to see that in him. I was able to hear that in him. And I'm so grateful because at that intersection in my life, my encounter with him, um, I ended up, he, he was baptized and I was baptized on the same Sunday. And so that was a critical friendship where someone offered Christ to me, and I'm forever grateful. Yeah, my, my story is a, a little bit different. Uh, I went through a pretty rough intersection in my life known as middle school. And uh, while I was going through that intersection, uh, I was you know, caught in the midst of changing traffic patterns, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And in, in the midst of that, um, <clears throat> one of the things that brought me out of that was uh, my family. My family w- was great. Uh, specifically, uh, the faith of my grandmother and my mother uh, were key witnesses to me in the midst of that intersection. And uh, my grandmother, she, she's awesome. She, she's a charter member of Riverside United Methodist Church. And when she comes sometimes <laughs> to hear me preach, she'll, she'll immediately get on the phone and start calling people saying, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving. I'm like, me, mama, I think by now they know you're not going anywhere. But uh, right. she's, she's very proud of her church. She's very proud of her faith. And uh, she instilled that in the whole family, including in my mom, who, uh, in the midst of me going through a little wild stage in middle school, uh, was there to kind of support me. And it's kind of like uh, Paul's talking to Timothy in, in one of his letters, and he's like, you know, remember your, what was his grandmother and mother's name? Eunice, uh, Eunice and Lois. Eunice and That Lois. sounds straight out of the South, but it's in the Bible. Right. Um, but just the, the testimony of, of people within your own family, the impact that they can have on you at particular intersections in your life. Well, and, and what I'd like for you to do is to think about the word or name Fran. Now, reaching out to Fran. Now, we have some friends on roll, and we have some that are active in worship. Right. We're not picking on them. Fran stands for those people at the intersection, relational intersections that God has called us to. Let's take a look at some of those. One would be friendships. I highlighted that. Um, the other relationships, a mother and a grandmother who had a huge impact uh, on Anthony. And then there are associates, um, those that we work with, maybe in civic clubs, whatever. And then finally, neighbors. And, and you know what's interesting is those first two, I think, are critical. Um, when I think of the mission field, 
I, I think of look around the table. You know, ministering, supper table, ministering to your family, well, it's tough because, number one, you didn't pick them, right. and you're called to them. The other is you're imperfect, and I'm imperfect, and they see our warts and our flaws, and, and so it makes it hard. Um, sometimes to be an example for Christ because they see us 24-7. And yet the wonderful thing is that the Holy Spirit kind of moves on through that and people are still impacted. Um, the, you know, relationships and then walk across the street. The idea of neighbors, um, acquaintances, uh, people that God has divinely appointed us to be a part of their lives in an intersection. Yeah. Uh, and acquaintances, the associates, one, one thing that I, I thought of when we were talking about that, mm -hmm. that, that, a big part of that is kind of your coworkers, your work environment and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I've personally been praying for a lot of the people I work with. Um, and well, believe I, me, they need it. Yeah, they do. I, I believe there's hope. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but re really what it comes down to is, is the relational intersections where we have an opportunity to have a positive impact in people's lives. The places where we have a chance to potentially share Christ with someone, uh, to tell a little bit of our story. Those are the ones, really and truthfully, friends and family. If you, if you just wanted to sum it up in kind of an easy-to-remember mm -hmm. category, uh, friends and family is what it, it really is all about. Those are the people that you have the chance, the biggest opportunity to have an impact on. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look at a couple of different biblical examples. We are. Share about one. one is um, the Samaritan woman. Many of us know that story, and it's a powerful story. And, and in some ways, it kind of heads us in the direction of uncomfortable uh, intersections because you have a woman who's coming at high noon because of her shame to a watering well, and Jesus encounters her, and he enters her into this conversation. Mm -hmm. And she's a Samaritan, so there's a lot going on there. She's got three strikes against her. Number one, uh, she's a woman in a patriarchal setting. Right. So she was considered a secondary citizen. Uh, number two, she was a Samaritan. Jews saw them as half-breeds. Mm -hmm. uh, they were looked upon with contempt. And, and then finally, she had a checkered past. I mean, Jesus entered into the conversation, asked her about her life. She revealed that she had been in multiple relationships, and the man that she was with was not her husband. And so Jesus does a wonderful thing in this. He moves it from an uncomfortable conversation to a comfortable one when he says, may I have a drink of water? And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a cup of water? And he said, you know, if you knew what this living water was and who it is that's mm. asking, it would change your life. In fact, this water will allow you to never thirst again. Now, here's the power in the story. Not only was that woman converted, but she goes back to Sychar, the village where she lives. And she spoke to the Fran people in her life, the friends, the relatives, associates, and neighbors, and said, come and see the man that knows everything about me. Yeah. It says in the scripture, the whole village was converted right, through that natural circle of relationships. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a beautiful example. There, there's one that uh, I think really hits home, literally, uh, and that is that there was actually a, a pair of brothers. 
where one led the other to Christ. Um, in the Gospel of John, uh, most of us know of Peter, uh, but what we don't always hear about is his brother, Andrew. And, and just kind of to set the stage, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he was loyal to John the Baptist. And one day, they're walking around, and John the Baptist is doing his thing. He's on his repentance tour. And then they see Jesus, and John says, look, the Lamb of God. And it, it, Scripture tells us in John chapter 1 that mm. Andrew immediately started following Jesus. And then a few verses later, um, we pick up in verse 40, mm -hmm. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, which will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And so Peter is one of the founders of the faith, and the way that he came to, to know Christ, to become a disciple of Christ, is because Andrew led him there. His brother led him to Christ and said, we found this guy, you've got to come and follow him. And I heard a, a great example one time about the transition that Andrew made to being a follower of Christ. There was a guy um, who was invited by George W. Bush. I heard him speaking about this several years ago. He was invited by Bush to the inauguration in 2000. Mm -hmm. And the guy was mesmerized by the bag man. You know who the bag man is? He's the, the guy who carries the nuclear football, has all the codes in it and stuff like that. He's a Secret Service guy. And he's always with the president, always with the president, wherever the president is. Um, and he... You know, he's a pretty well-protected guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happens, if you've ever been to the inauguration, which I haven't, and they don't really show this well on TV, but from what I hear is he starts on one side of the stage behind the outgoing president, and he makes his way all the way around the stage during the oath of office so that at the end of the oath of office, he's behind the incoming president, the one who has just been sworn in. And it's a beautiful example of discipleship mm. and a beautiful example of, of what kind of happened in Andrew's life, that this guy, every single day, he's following around one person, and his allegiance switches, and, and that's the leader that he follows. And I think for us as Christians, we too make that change when we go to follow Christ, that switch. And people see that, and Peter saw that switch that was made, right? And it was a powerful thing. And I, you know, Andrew leveraged his relationship, relationship right. with Peter, and so that's what we're called to do. Um, you know, one of the ways we do that, just a couple of helpful things, is we listen with love. Mm -hmm. We listen to the story. We say, "Tell me your story." I mean, that's right. what Jesus did with the woman at the well. And we have that opportunity to first listen, and we listen not to somehow earn the right to be heard, but we do it out of compassion and love first. But the other is, the byproduct is we, we do uh, have some capital with that person, and we don't know where the Holy Spirit is in the progression of somebody's life. And it very well may be that there's a moment where they want to know our story. Right. And it's key that we be ready to tell our story when that time comes. Yeah, there, there was a guy um, I knew several years ago, and I, I've told this story before, and I don't like telling it because I don't like being a hero. 
uh, in my stories. We, we know other preachers who love to be the hero when they preach, but... Do we? Yeah, we do. Okay. We've met some. Um, but uh, there was a guy I worked with when I was in college at Young Harris, and uh, we were math tutors together. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I was a math tutor. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, God does amazing things in the lives of his followers. Um, and I, I worked as a math tutor, and there was this guy that I worked with, and uh, he, he was a good guy, but he was, had a little bit of a wild streak. And uh, I'll put it this way. Young Harris was a two-year school at that point, so most of the people there were under the age of 21. His fraternity that he was the president of had their picture up at a local package store and it, with a plaque that said, Supporters of the Year. And... Uh, you do the math. Okay. No pun intended. Right, right. All right. So uh, he and I worked together, and a lot of times there wouldn't be people to come in and get tutoring, and so we would have a lot of opportunities to have conversations. And um, I, I knew he was different than me. He knew I was different than him. Uh, but one of the things I just felt compelled to do in our relationship was just listen to him and, and be accepting of him no matter where he'd been, no matter what he had done. And so through our relationship... He would just share things about his life, where he was from, mm-hmm. things he was going through, things he was struggling with. And because I listened, because I accepted, because I didn't pass judgment, it gave me an opportunity to share some of the things that were important in my life. Well, fast forward the story a couple of years later. Uh, I went to the University of Georgia. He went to Georgia Tech, so we didn't talk for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. But he uh, contacted me out of the blue, and he said, I just wanted to share with you that uh, while I was at Georgia Tech, I gave my life to Christ. And I said, miracles happen. And uh, he said, I gave my life to Christ. And I just wanted you to know that part of my journey was that feeling of acceptance that I had uh, in conversations with you. And you would share your story, but you never pushed it on me. Uh, and it just gave me an openness to, to believe that that I might belong to God, and through that I might come to believe in God. And so when we have these intersections and yeah. we veil ourselves to people uh, in the name of Christ, I think something happens, but we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes, and we don't know what's going on down the road. And the person that helped to lead him to Christ, as you mm-hmm. kind of built a foundation, the person that, um, that did that, was very intentional, and right. I think that's important, and um, and so we're grateful for that. But you know, one of the things that comes out of that intersection is that he was able to reflect back and think about, okay, I saw Christ in someone that I worked with. Very quickly, um, there is a woman in our church. She serves in leadership now, but she was unchurched just years ago, and uh, really was not a committed Christian, a follower of Christ, and. She watched Martha Bowman volunteers show up to her nonprofit organization. She was the executive director of a nonprofit who, that served the community. And, um, and it was not uh, religiously affiliated. And, and so we had volunteers that would go. And, and she said, you know, I, I'd watch these people, and specifically people from Martha Bowman, and they would have joy in their lives. Right. They were working through relationships that were difficult for them and in positive ways. They, they, uh, they didn't serve in a begrudging way. They served joyfully. And she said, I finally had to ask the question, what is it with them? Hmm. I want that. She started worshiping with us. She's now the chair of Staff Parish. Uh, a committee in the church. And so along the continuum, God allows us to be a part of intersections in people's lives 
And, um, and I'm grateful for that. I really am. Right. And, and the challenge for us, I believe, is that when we have these relational intersections, when we have the guy at work that you're just listening to his story, when you, you see people uh, that are just kind of looking at you going, what is it that's different about you? Mm-hmm. We, really, the challenge for us is to live in such a way that people look at us and say, what's different about you? Uh, and it's at those intersections, when you encounter people at intersections in their life where they're, they're looking for direction, they're looking for where to go, that you might have the opportunity to say to them, this is the way that my life has been mm-hmm. shaped. These are the things that cause me to live in the way that I do. And why is it important, as you close this out in prayer, why is it important? Because lives hang in the balance. Yeah. Um, there's brokenness. And there's a need for Christ. And we have a wonderful story to share. And I think folks will receive that in good ways.